Let me ask you a question this morning to get started. How many of you in this room like authority? How many of you like authority? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us like to live independent of authority, don't we? Since the beginning of time, um, man has rebelled against God's authority. Since the beginning of time, even in the heavens, Satan rebelled against God's authority, and that's why he was banished from the heavens. Adam and Eve, they were given um, dominion over all, the, all, all of the earth, all of the um, Garden of Eden. And God said you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one tree, except for the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree they could eat from, except for that one. What do we do when we are told no? We gravitate to that object that is forbidden, don't we? And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now the servant, ser, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You tell a kid not to touch that hot pan. And what do they do? As soon as you turn your back on them, as soon as you look away, they touch it, don't they? You tell a grown man not to do something, and what do they do? As soon as you turn away, they do it anyway. This week I was on Facebook, and I came across a Facebook post that was, it was entitled, um, 25 Reasons Why Women Live Longer Than Men. And so um, I thought that was pretty entertaining, and it fit into our message this morning. So I grabbed a few of those pictures, and let's look at a few of these pictures together. Reason number one, a man is trying to cut a piece of iron with a plastic bag over his face. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Obviously, his mama never told him not to put a bag over his his face. Um, Picture number two here. Um, why a man is laying down with a lion in the middle of a, a zoo, I have no idea, but not recommended at all. Um, the next one here, um, man jumping into a pair of pants. The only good thing is safety first. He does have a helmet on. Okay. So that you got to give him credit for that. Um, I, you can't see very well, but this man's feet is in water while he's working with electricity. Not recommended either. Kind of speaks for itself. Don't know what that guy was trying to do, um, but didn't work out. This one I really like. Um, You know, that one there, I've always wondered, what is the best way to cut hedges that are too tall to reach? You get a riding lawnmower and you get a crane and you you know, you cut them. Um, the next one here, um, you know, it's always hard to find a good ladder. And so they, they definitely took advantage of the little one that they had. Um, the next one here, no Jack, I guess. And so he just found a couple of two by fours and I'm going to fix whatever he's fixing under there. Um, bearded man with bees. Don't think that that's recommended. Um, you know, Probably shouldn't jump out of a window with a broom between your legs, but, you know, that guy tried it. I don't know what happened afterwards. And then this guy, this one I like. I mean, changing the light bulb, standing um, on the, the ledge in the, in, in the hallway. So that's pretty good. So um, 
you know, since the beginning of, of uh, you know, time, we have tried to do things our way, right? Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. You know, as men, I know, not so much women, we are stubborn-headed people. We definitely um, like to push the envelope a little bit, and that's kind of what we've seen um, this morning through those pictures. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at um, verses 28 through chapter 9, verse 13. Um, got a lot to cover this morning and looking forward to us just diving in and seeing Jesus' authority. But let's read together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 9, 13. And we read, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gardeans, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. Verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He, said, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said to those, who are, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, our message point this morning is this. Nothing is outside of Jesus's authority. You know that, right? There's absolutely nothing outside of the authority of Jesus. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, and it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew has set out from the very beginning of his gospel to make it abundantly clear that all authority has been given to Jesus. We see his authority um, over biology through the virgin birth. We see his authority over Satan through the three temptations that occurred in the wilderness. We see his authority when he called his disciples. Jesus said, follow me. And what did those men do? They dropped everything and they followed after Jesus. They didn't say first, let me go and do this or that. They immediately followed Jesus. We see his authority throughout scripture in the way that he taught as he performed miracles with authority. And he just 
demonstrated his authority over nature as we looked at last week when he calmed the seas and the wind. This morning, we're going to see Jesus' divine authority in three distinct areas. The first one that we're going to look at this morning is this, Jesus' authority over demons. Jesus' authority over demons. To begin with, let me be very, very clear this morning. Satan is real, okay? He is the prince of darkness and 100% pure evil. There is absolutely no good in him at all. We very rarely hear sermons today preached by preachers on the reality of hell and the reality of Satan and the reality of demons. They are real. Satan is real. He was created by God and at one time dwelt with God in the heavens. He rebelled against God and was expelled from heaven and took a host of angels with him. And we read in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus makes it very, very clear that hell was created for Satan, Satan and his angels. We read in verse 41, it says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. It was not created for mankind. The only reason man goes to hell is because they have chosen not to believe in God the Father, not to believe in Jesus Christ for redemption. Demons are ever present in our world this morning. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, we read, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout this world. In John 10, 10, the first part of that verse we read, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan and his demons are actively at work on this planet. They are seeking to steal, they are seeking to kill, and they are seeking to destroy. They are trying to do that on their own, but they're also trying to get man to turn against man and kill one another and destroy one another. And so this morning what we see is Jesus gets into the boat, okay, and he, and he travels over to the other side. And, and when you read this story, sometimes we ask ourselves, why in the world does Jesus get in the boat, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, perform a miracle, and then get right back in that boat and go back to the other side? We're going to look at that this morning, okay, and we're going to be clear why Jesus performs this particular miracle. So Jesus gets out of the boat, and he is immediately greeted by two demon-possessed men. These men are under demonic control. They live in tombs or burial caves, which in epitomize that which is unclean. You remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at the leper, I said that, um, I shared that leprosy in biblical times 
um, was second only to dead bodies and seriousness. These demons are dwelling where? They're dwelling in these men where? In burial caves, in a cemetery. They are, are, are dwelling within these men in the most profane of places. Death is oozing out of them, and they are loving every bit of the environment that they are in. No one dared to get close to them because they feared these demon-possessed men because they were, they, were, um, they were crazy is what they were. And, and they were seeking to harm those within the community. But when they saw Jesus, notice this. Notice their fear. Notice the fear that these demons demonstrated when they got in proximity of Jesus Christ. In verse 29 of Matthew chapter 8, we read, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? These demons are deathly afraid of Jesus Christ. These demons know that just as Jesus banished them from heaven, he could certainly banish them from these men. They knew that. That was a reality for them. In 1 John 3, 8, we read, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know why Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee on this day? He crossed the Sea of Galilee to destroy the works of the devil. He crossed the Sea of Galilee to, to let each and every one of us know that he does have authority over Satan and does have authority over the demons. He came to rescue you and I from the prince of darkness to rescue us from the death trap that, had, that Satan had established here on earth. These demons are deathly afraid of Jesus Christ. Notice also the belief that these demons have in Jesus Christ. These demons cry out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before time? These men knew exactly who. These demons knew exactly who. Jesus was. In James 2.19 we read, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They not only knew who Jesus was, but they knew exactly what Jesus was capable of. Jesus had already banished them from the heavens. And, he, and these, these demons knew that Jesus could banish them out of those demon-possessed men as well. With Jesus' arrival, they questioned his premature arrival since judgment day had not yet come. These demons thought that they had free reign over the earth. They thought that they could dwell in whom they wanted to dwell, inflict those who they wanted to inflict and lead man into utter darkness because that's what they have done since the beginning of time. Satan and his demons, they know that their days are numbered. Not only do they know that their days are numbered, but with the arrival of Jesus, they also know that their freedom is very, very limited. They know that they are on a very, very short leash. Continue reading with me. We see here Jesus's authority. We read in verses 30 through 32, it says, now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them. 
And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Because their days are numbered, knowing that Jesus was going to cast them out of these men, why did they choose pigs to be thrown into? Why did, I mean, I'm sure that there were some, some lambs around, some other animals that were around as well, that, that Jesus could have easily sent those demons into. Why pigs? Because these demons dwell amongst that which is unclean. Pigs were unclean. Jews were not to be in proximity of pigs. Demons they like to dwell in utter darkness. We saw that first where they dwell in the burial caves. And then we see it where they want to dwell in the pigs. That is exactly what Satan tries to do to every one of us in this room. He tries to expose us to evil and lead us into utter darkness, doesn't he? He tempts us. He tries to destroy us. He tries to rob us and kill us and get us to turn on our brothers. He tries to lead us down dark alleys to participate in that which is pure evil. He tries to let, he tries to lead us to practices that are illegal. That is what Satan does. He tries to lead us into utter darkness. Satan leads us toward temptation every single day, doesn't he? Every single day, every single one of us in this room, we are tempted. We are tempted by the devil. We are tempted to do that which we know is not holy, that which we know God does not approve of. That's why Jesus, when we read back in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he told us to pray that we would not be led into temptation. He instructed us to pray for strength when moments of temptations come. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Every single one of us in this room, we are tempted. Just this week, I was talking with a, a friend of mine, and he was talking about how the weight of the world was on him. And it, it seemed like there, that there was no way that he could handle all the things that had been given his way. And I made it very, very clear to him that God will not allow us to be tempted or we will never be given too much to bear, too much to handle, because Jesus will always give us a way out. And that is true with temptation. Every single one of us are tempted. But understand this, you don't have to give in to that temptation because God has always provided a way out. Just like there's a front door, there's always a back door that you can go through. There's always a way out, my friends. Notice um, our, our final sub-point under point one. Notice the re- rejection that happens from these townspeople. So Jesus cast out these demons. 
out of these men. And these men are set free from the curse of sin and death. In Mark chapter 5, we read the same story, but there's a little bit added to the story at the end of it. In Mark chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we read this. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Who's begging? It's the townspeople that are begging Jesus to leave. And we read in verse 18, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, that how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Mark focuses on one man, probably focuses on the worst of the two demon-possessed men. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is we see Jesus commissioning this man to go back into the city and proclaim proclaim the good news of salvation. He, he was going to go into a city that, that, that had just rejected Jesus, that didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Folks, understand there are places in our world today where there are villages just like this villages, where there may be one Christian in all of that city. And that man has been commissioned by God the Father to go into that city and proclaim the good news of salvation. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for those that God has set apart to go into the hardest to reach places to preach the good news of salvation. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did with this man. Notice our second point this morning. So Jesus has authority over demons. And notice also Jesus' authority over sin. Jesus gets back into the boat and returns back to his home. His home at this point is Capernaum. He had already been rejected from his home of Nazareth, and so he has taken up residence in the city of Capernaum. We're not sure how much time there is between um, him coming back into the city and when chapter 9 begins. It could have been days. It could have been weeks. We just don't know. But this is a great story. Matthew focuses on the paralytic being healed by Jesus and being made clean by Jesus. In Luke, we get a little bit more of the story. Just like in the last story, we got a little bit more of the story. In Mark, we get a little bit more of the story in Luke here. Let me read Luke 5, 17 through 19. It says this, on one of those days, As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Notice this man's faith and notice the faith of his friends. We do not know where Jesus is. He could have been in the home of Peter preaching. He could have been in another person's home preaching. We don't know, but we know that there were so many people in that room that it was impossible for anyone else to get in there, especially for um, 
four men to carry a friend in on a mat into um, that home and, and get in proximity of Jesus. These men did not care whose home this was. What they cared about is getting their friend in proximity of Jesus. And so what do they do? They climb up on the roof and they dig a hole, make a hole in that roof, and they lower their friends, their friend to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Center section here. Okay, this morning, if all of a sudden sheetrock and, and, and two by fours and shingle and, and insulation began to fall down on you, what would you do? Man, you'd probably freak out, wouldn't you? You would scatter, you'd get up and you move away. Probably be a little bit mad also that, that someone would destroy God's house of worship here, right? Just like if it happened in our home, we'd probably get a little upset if someone tried to destroy our home in order to get to our Bible set. Hey, there's a perfectly good front door that they could have gone through, okay? But in this particular case, these men bring their friends to Jesus. Does Jesus um, rebuke these men? Absolutely not. Notice what Jesus did. In verse 2 of Matthew 9, we read, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Notice Jesus' authority over sin. Recognize in this men's faith, And the faith of this man, Jesus spoke, and immediately this man's sins were forgiven. This is big right here, okay? Because people did not just go around and tell other people that your sins are forgiven, okay? Religious leaders didn't even go around and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. There were certain requirements that had to take place in order for a person's sins to be forgiven according to the Mosaic law. There always had to be a blood sacrifice, always had to be shedding of blood before man's sins were forgiven. And we read in Hebrews 9.22 this truth. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And everyone in that room knew that to be true. Everyone in that room, especially the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, whenever they heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, what did they do? Man, they immediately began to think in their hearts, and they probably even began to share amongst themselves, what in the world is this man doing? We read in um, verse 3 of chapter 9, it says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. They were questioning Jesus' ability to heal this man. They were questioning in their hearts his authority. They had no doubt whatsoever that Jesus had great authority, and he had demonstrated that authority the way he taught. He demonstrated that authority when he controlled nature. He demonstrated that authority when he cast out demons. Then he demonstrated that authority when he healed countless numbers of people. They were amazed by everything that Jesus had done up to this point. But this right here, man, this is where the line had been crossed. They could not sit back, which they never sat back, but certainly in this instance, they could not sit back 
and listen to Jesus say to this man, your sins are forgiven. Notice this. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the thoughts that we are thinking. Read with me in verses 4 through 8 we read. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus goes toe to toe with these religious leaders right here. And he makes it a abundantly clear that that man's problem was not his paralysis, but that man's problem at the heart of it, it was a sin issue. Think about that. At the root of all man's suffering and problems is sin. Everything that we experience in this world today began as a result of that first sin that was committed by Adam and Eve in the garden. At that very moment, chaos ensued. Death ensued. Disease began. Cancerous diseases began. We, we experienced chaotic weather because this world is broken today. All of this began to spiral out of control when? When sin entered this world. At the heart of all evil in our lives and in this world is sin. That is why Jesus addressed what this man needed most, and that was forgiveness. This man didn't need to be healed first, He needed forgiveness before he needed anything else. More than he needed a new body, he needed forgiveness and he needed Jesus. That is true for all of us in this room. There is nothing that we need more in our lives than forgiveness of our sins. The lack of forgiveness will cause someone to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Growing up, and I've shared this story with you before, but I'm going to share it again for those that um, have forgotten or weren't listening to me the first time. Um, but I had a buddy, and my wife and I had a buddy in, in high school. Um, he was a year younger than me, graduated in the same class with her. His name, his name was Tress Sansom, and Tress um, was a, a, a great kid. I mean, every time the doors were open, Tress was there. He was a leader in our student ministry. Um, man, at, at church, he, he lived one way. At home, he lived one way. But whenever he was away from church, he lived um, independent of authority. And, and um, on one Sunday, right after he graduated from, from high school, He was where he shouldn't have been. Instead of being at church where he should have been, he was over at his girlfriend's house swimming. And he was goofing around in the swimming pool, and he dove into the pool, and he hit his head on the bottom of that pool, and in an instant, he became a quadriplegic. And to this day, he will tell you that is the greatest thing that ever happened to him because as a result of him becoming a quadriplegic, he became a Christian. He was playing the game before, but after he became a quadriplegic and after God got control of his life, he today preaches God's word and teaches God's word every Sunday at a church that he serves at just outside of Austin. This man 
Tress recognized that his greatest need was not to be healed from his physical ailment. His greatest need was to be forgiven of his sin. And that is true for all of us. At the heart of our problem is not that ailment that we might have, but it is this, the need to be forgiven of our sins. If you have not ever turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, I want to encourage you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make this morning, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and repent of your sins. And if you do that very thing, then you can be assured that you will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Notice our third and final point. It's this, Jesus' authority to save. To conclude this morning, we're going to look at Matthew's conversion. And this is the same Matthew or Levi as, as we also know him to be that we have been reading from his gospel and, and walking through his gospel over these many weeks. Notice point number one or subpoint number one. Notice Matthew's profession. Matthew was a tax collector, probably the most hated profession in all of Israel, probably would be equivalent to an IRS agent today. Nobody likes the IRS agent, especially when they come a knocking at our door, right? And so Matthew was equivalent to that. Matthew would have been hated by pretty much everyone in Israel. They would have been hated by all of the disciples because what Matthew did is he collected taxes for Rome. And not only did he collect taxes, but he also would have his own tax that he would collect and he would pad his own pocket with that money. So Matthew would have been a very successful man, a very rich man, but he also would have been a very hated and despised man. Notice um, that Jesus comes to this sinner. To Matthew, and he says this in Matthew 9 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Matthew does exactly what every other disciple had done up to that point, talking about the 12 here. He accepts the weightiness of the call and he abandons everything immediately to follow after Jesus Christ. He did not question Jesus. He did not say, first, let me go and take care of of these needs, or let me go and take care of these bills. He didn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what kind of 401k plan do you have? He didn't do any of those things. What did, what did Matthew do? Matthew simply left everything behind and he followed after Jesus. And not only did he, he abandon everything to follow Jesus, but Luke tells us that he throws a party to celebrate that Jesus had called him to be his disciple. In Luke chapter 5, verse 29, we read, And Levi, Matthew, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Notice this, Jesus' association. 
Notice who Jesus associates with. Matthew, Matthew recognized right away that his sinful friends were in desperate need of Jesus, just like he was in desperate need of Jesus. And so he throws a party, and he invites all of his sinful friends over to this party so that they can get in proximity of Jesus and in proximity of these disciples. The religious leaders did not like the fact that Jesus was associating with sinners. You know who else doesn't like when you and I associate with sinners? The devil. Devil does not like us to associate with sinners. You know why? Because the devil's afraid that a little bit of Jesus may rub off on us on to them. May we be a church that dines with sinners. May we be a church that invites the sinners into the church house and into our own homes because they need Jesus. Sinners need Jesus. They need Jesus just like you and I once needed Jesus. And how are they going to come to know Jesus unless you and I get in proximity of them? Notice also, notice what Jesus does. Jesus rebukes these religious leaders. The Pharisees condemned Jesus for being a friend of Jesus. That's exactly what these Pharisees did. They condemned him for being a friend of sinners. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? And, and man, this is where I'm pointing at myself right now. How many of you have non-Christian friends that you do life with? I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I do not have enough sinful friends or unchristian friends that I do life with. I've got to do a better job of that. It's hard to be around a bunch of sinners when I come to church every day to work. I've got to find avenues outside of the doors of this building where I get in proximity of lost people. And all of us need to do that as well. We need to find avenues when we get in proximity of lost people. Now, understand this. We are not to get into proximity of sinners so that we can participate in the sin that they are doing. But we do need to be in proximity of sinners so that we can point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus... um, goes on and he rebukes these religious leaders. And he says, who needs a doctor? Well, we know who needs a doctor. Six people need a doctor. Who needs to be healed of their sin? Lost people. Righteous people do not need to be forgiven of their sins. But sinful people need to be forgiven of their sins. That's why Jesus burst into human history and dwelt among us so that he could could conquer darkness and conquer death by being the light. We read in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what the devil does. But Jesus goes on to say, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus burst into human history so that every single one of us in this room can experience life. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is, once again, to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And scripture says, if you do that and you repent, of your sins, you will be saved. Notice our takeaway this morning. It's this. The authority of Jesus has been given to each and every one of us in this room. That's good news. That the very authority that Jesus spoke with 
and taught with and healed with is the very authority that we have been given. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The very authority that Jesus had, he has given to us so that we can go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation. We are to go and point a lost and dying world to King Jesus. Let us find a way this week, next week, this summer to get in proximity of lost people so that we can point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. And I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, if there is a decision that you need to make this morning, I invite you to come. If you need to come this morning and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then I invite you to come to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. If you are here and you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord is leading you to become a member here at Friendship, we would love for you to do that this morning. You, know, you may need to be like me. You, need to, you may need to be praying for God to give you an avenue where you can point, um, get in proximity of lost people so that you can share the good news of salvation with them. I don't know what decision you need to make or how you need to pray during this time of invitation. But let's pray together. And then when I say amen, if you need to come, you come. Um, our worship team is going to lead us um, as we sing together as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you, Father, just for this morning. Thanking you for allowing us just to um, come together to worship you and to open up your word. Father, I know that this morning we've covered a lot. Father, we've covered a lot, but we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given, you demonstrated your authority over Satan and his demons. You demonstrated your authority over sin by speaking and man's sins were forgiven. And ultimately we know, Lord Jesus, there was a blood sacrifice that occurred and it occurred when you went to the cross and you died on that cross for our sins. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you demonstrated your authority by saving Matthew and the disciples and the rest of us as well. And Lord Jesus, we just come before you now, Lord, during this time of invitation. If there's someone here this morning that needs to come and repent of their sins and cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior, may today be the day that they do that. Father, if there's some here this morning that's been visiting this church for a while and you're leading them to become a part of this faith family, Lord, we invite them to come as well. Lord, just move now during our time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.